Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports and media and entertainment with various people from all different walks of life, especially the startup field uh, and the media field. And today we're going to touch on both the startup and the media field. Uh, I'm Joe Favorito, pitching in for my co-host Tom Richardson, who's off today. But the business we're going to talk about today is a new launch called Close Up 360, which is concentrating on the off court lives of NBA players, current, former, and potentially future. And the person we have joining us is the founder and president, Jared Zwerdling. Jared, welcome. Appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks, Joe. Cool. So you've had a number of stops at really, really prominent places in the media field uh, as a content developer, a writer, uh, a broadcaster, a storyteller. Why don't you kind of walk everybody through uh, the steps that you've taken and the places you've been, like Bleacher Report and ESPN, to get to the point today where you are. Yeah, no, definitely, Joe. I mean, really, it started when I was around seven years old. I remember remember very well. I was writing for my lower school newspaper. Uh, there was a pitcher for the high school named Jamie Irving. He went on to Harvard, and he was able to pitch with both hands, lefty and righty, at 90 miles an hour. And I was enamored by that. I, I was like so, so curious. I remember watching him at a game once. I said, I got to just find out what what he what, how did he how did he do that. And I was writing creatively. I was doing some some stuff for, you know, my English papers and stuff. I just loved to write. So when I interviewed him, I discovered the backstory of how he was able to do that. He had broken his, I believe, his right arm and then was able to pitch with his left arm, and, and he was able to be ambidextrous. So that really just got me thinking about, like, I love the idea of, like, the, the person story, not the player story, the person story. So and Did you say you were seven when you first did the, you came up with the idea? I was around seven years old, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I still have my mom. My mom and my mom and dad still have it framed somewhere. Uh, it's somewhere in the in the house in Miami. But yeah, that was my first story. So I was always I was just a natural writer. I loved to tell stories. My you know my family was big on storytelling around the dinner table. Loved love storytelling. You know, my favorite place I went to was this, or my, the best meal I had was that, and it was just so detailed. So I was always driven to details and and like like I said, the the, the person story, not the player story. And as I got older, I, I really gravitated to that, and I pursued probably every internship you can imagine when I went to NYU. I think I had maybe 10 internships before I graduated. So, you know, it really just started, you know, I was kind of related to like a player who knows who he can jump high or not, not the position knows who he's very good with numbers. For me, it was just writing and, and storytelling. So it started early and then NYU interned everywhere. And then my first job was at the NBA and then uh, just elevated from there, you know, 15 years in the industry, a lot of memories, a lot of, Incredible interviews, traveling uh, the country, uh, covering the NBA, some some international travel, and um, yeah, you know, for me, what what fuels me is the next story. I'm always itching for, you know, what can I find out more? What can I discover more? So, you know, my days are on the phone a lot, texting with agents and publicists and players, and you know, uh, just uh, traveling myself and, and just trying to find out more about players as people, and and that's really the passion of my work. Mm-hmm. So you went just to, in kind of short order. You were at the NBA. You went to ESPN, working for ESPN Magazine, ESPN.com. Uh, a lot of – most of it was focused around these topics, NBA, entertainment, lifestyle. You then went on to Bleacher Report when Bleacher Report was really just kind of moving things along in the in evolving in their storytelling space. Was that before or after they were required by, uh, acquired by Turner? It was after the acquisition. So – and uh, yeah, like you said, I was working for ESPN. I was covering the New York Knicks from 2010 to 2013. 
Um, actually, before that, I was also working at Sports Illustrated Kids, which was, which was also a fun experience too. We're learning about you know the the world of, of kid coverage in sports because there's so much there. But yeah, I mean, you know, I was working for ESPN and I was recruited to join Bleacher Report. It was uh, the after the acquisition, which was in 2012, uh, for 175 million. So all over the news, and then Bleacher really wanted to establish itself as a bigger presence around the NBA, obviously with the Turner Sports deal, they can start, they had license opportunities with NBA footage and all that kind of stuff, more access to games. So the NBA was a major priority uh, for Bleacher Report. So 2013 joined them in September of that year, and it was a great time. You know, I came on board with Rick Buecher, Kevin Ding, Ethan Skolnick, and Howard Beck, and a really great crew. I was the youngest out of the group, so a little intimidating at first, but I found my, my groove pretty quickly and you know, Bleacher was willing to try a lot of things. And, you know, I do, I still respect the hell out of Bleacher Report, how they really continuously find the next big thing. And they're very creative and, and with their storytelling, with their graphics and social media. So, you know, I really appreciated what they provided and, and they still are very cutting edge and you know, elevated very well, leveraging the NBA access they have. Cool. And then you, um, you took a kind of interesting role, which was really a first ever at the NBA Players Association really becoming their kind of in-house storyteller. Um, how was that different from what you did at Bleacher Report? And then I want to talk a little bit about SI and then kind of on to some of the other things that you're doing now. For sure. So going back to when I was a kid and having all those internships for me, because I always felt like I knew what I wanted to do in life. I was always very persistent and motivated. And I always felt entrepreneurial that I could find my own niche, you know, doing what I was doing. So you know, when when I was covering the Knicks and ESPN and I was trying to find these really interesting feature stories around the team and around the NBA nationally, that was that became my niche, off-the-court content. And then when Bleach Report recruited me, it was for that specific purpose, and we had talked about what role you would want to have. And I created, I co-created the, the, the job title at Bleach Report. It was never done before, so I created the position there. And then when I was thinking about my next step around 2015, I saw the Players Association as really – an entity that had all these players and work, they worked with them very directly, right, on their off-the-court initiatives, but there was no content platform. There was no content side of, of the PA. So, you know, with my relationship with Roger Mason, that one thing led to another. I met with Michelle Roberts, the director, and, and basically just pitched the vision simply. I was in a meeting I remember very well. It was around August 2015. I basically said, look, you know, you guys are doing incredible work with players off the court, whether it's helping them develop them as business people their global work, their community work, all these great things, but they're not being told. Their stories are not being told. So it was a really simple conversation. You know, they just they just realized that they had all these uh, great stories that were untold. So joined them in, in 2015 to really establish a media voice for, you know, an old organization that was mostly, you know, behind the scenes in, in privacy. And for the first time, we really became more of a public-facing uh, content business. And even today, they're, they're still doing some content, but – you know, it's still mostly focused on social media. Uh, they still operate a little privately, but they still they still do incredible work with players off the court to develop them beyond uh, the game of basketball. So that was a great experience. I was there for around two years. Mm-hmm. And then you, you jumped to Sports Illustrated, uh, really kind of helped launch NBA Insider. Was that similar or more advanced than what you were doing at ESPN and Bleacher Report? The big difference at, at Sports Illustrated was the video side. I think with... Um, the push with SITV 
and video. Uh, and obviously, as you know, Joe, digital video is, is hot right now. SI wanted to get more on the online digital space. For a long time, they've been known mostly as a magazine. So I came on there to do, you know, help out with uh, different video productions, whether it was producing behind the scenes, whether it was on your hosting, guest interviews, things like that. So that was the focus there. A lot of the work was out of New York. We had our studio there. So we got guys when they came to New York on off days, things like that. And, uh, you know, I, I think for me, one of the best parts there was the evolution of SITV and having to work on a, a few uh, long-form projects, one of which was the documentary on Jeremy Lin, his comeback from his uh, injury that he had last year, which caused him this the whole season. So I produced that. And so that was that. I was there about nine months. and But something was still fueling me behind the scenes. And even when I was at the Players Association, I always sort of dreamed about having my own entity. And not necessarily just my own, with my own name, but an entity that would be able to collect uh, national <laughs> writers and filmmakers and people within this off the court network to come together and create a, a true off the court platform. It was, it was always in the back of my head. I just didn't know when the right time to do it was. I had the idea actually last summer and then this summer it really hit me that, you know, the NBA is just soaring globally in popularity. And a lot of that is fueled through the NBA player brand off the court. And I really just wanted to leverage that and, and, and do it this summer. So it took some time financing, uh, uh, raising money and all that stuff, but I feel, I feel, I feel like this was the right time this this summer this year to do it. And, and the business that's been launched is Close Up 360 was launched uh, in October uh, of 2018, and it really is kind of the the culmination, I guess, of where you've gotten to this point with great storytelling from relationships that you've built uh, in a video form that that is available on. Almost any platform you could watch it anywhere, and you know people do consume video any way possible. Um, how did you go about it as kind of you know a first time really kind of fundraiser? Uh, you know this is your baby. Uh, tell everybody about how you went through the fundraising part. What was that like? How much money approximately did you raise, and uh, what was the response when you actually went out in the marketplace to to see if there were people yeah. who would be willing to invest? Well, I will say this. I think for any startup uh, entrepreneur, any founder, they probably always they probably always have the belief that their idea is so good, they can get money tomorrow. Like, I have this incredible idea. Someone's going to buy it tomorrow, right? Someone's going to give me the money tomorrow. But really, it doesn't work like that. you got to really sell it and go on meetings and, and be turned down and given feedback from, you know, business fundamentalists that have been doing this a long time. So you get humbled very quickly. But it should never steer you away from your vision, from your passion. And no matter what advice or feedback I got, um, the biggest thing why I kept going was players, NBA players. I went to about 20 players to start, and they said, this is a, just a fantastic idea. We need something like this. You know, so that that was my passion. And I work for players. I don't I don't want my face out there really much. I'm doing this podcast with you because it's, it's, you know, great for, for players and to know that, and fans know this is out here, but, you know, I'm really kind of a behind-the-scenes type of guy. I don't really do a lot of public stuff. I, you know, it's all about the players. This is why the brand exists. It's for players. It's for fans. So, you know, in any of our videos, it, you don't see any media personality. It's only the players. So, you know, they fueled me to keep going. And, you know, also people in the industry, too, you know, knew that this was something that had potential reigns. And, and a lot of what I was doing was such a niche, too, that, you know, even if it, even though it was a niche, it still required a lot of selling to to show that the niche really had viability because 
when you come up with a very specific idea, just to NBA players off the court, to some investors, it could be seen as that's too narrow, right? You should be like, look at Bleach Report. They cover multiple sports. But what we try to sell, what I try to sell as a founder is that the NBA itself is its own entity. It's, it's, it's the biggest business in, in this country from a pro sports standpoint. There's nothing that comes close right now to the NBA, to the NBA player from a popularity standpoint, from a social reach standpoint, from a global standpoint. So that was a selling key is that it's about it's the NBA's time. You know, years ago it was horse racing, then it became baseball. We live in the era of, of the golden age of, of basketball. So that was the key selling to really drive that to them with NBA players being brands that could sell to advertisers and sponsors because NBA players are attracted to brands. So it was a combination of that, building it out. It took about two months to get some funding, early round funding. We landed out after a summer league in July, and then it gave us the reins to go out and start creating content in August, September, and then we launched in October. So that was sort of the process. It, I, I think it – I wouldn't say it took – you know, it took some time, but I feel like, you know, with the summer that we had to be able to create content in August, September was really good for us because we were able to get time with guys before the season started. So that was really good. Without without naming names, where did some of the money come from? Was it private investors, equity funds, former players, friends and family? Where where were some of the places where people were willing to write you checks from? Yeah, it, it, was, it was basically friends of my network. Uh, it wasn't a firm. It wasn't really a uh, an equity firm or, you know, uh, some type of bigger, bigger firm like that. It was more around our network. Uh, it wasn't players, you know, one thing with players is, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, you know, Jared, like our players investing in this and that. And, and for us, it's, it's sensitive, it's sensitive to talk about that because a lot of what we do, we work with players collaboratively. And right now it's really an organic relationship that we're trying to forge with them through this content. So right now, you know, with the access that we're getting and to do all these great things, it's all done so organically and just through connections, relationships, et cetera, like that. So right now, you know, for us, it's, it's not about working with players on a business level. So for us, it's more of the people that are, you know, really passionate about the game of basketball, have invested before, uh, have experience in media, tech, stuff like that. That's, that's what we're really we're looking at. And we found some really good interest. So that's, that's the realm that we work in for, from the investment standpoint. Jared, what was some of the, the better advice that you got that surprised you from some of the people that you talked to about fundraising? Well, I, like I said before, I think it just takes time to be humbled. Uh, don't expect everything to happen overnight. Um, the biggest advice probably I'm getting out getting is probably now, you know, in the last month. We launched, and we're happy about that, but we're not satisfied. You know, we have to go through another round and, and keep growing. It, it's such a incredible life-changing experience running a company because your whole schedule changes, your sleep pattern changes, your who you're talking to changes. You know what I mean? It's just a constant, constant, constant. So the biggest advice is really just get getting it now. Like, you know, now that, now that we have numbers to show, now that we have uh, content out there, it's, it's going through the research of the content, the data, the analytics, right? So it's understanding how all that works into your business model to then grow to another round of financing, then to get more brand deals and more sponsorships, more advertisements. So mm-hmm. everything is little, like all the, most of the learning really is happening now because now that we've launched, we're, we're out there front and center, uh, you know, and, and, and that's where really all the learning goes because, you know, when you're creating a company, it's, you can, you have a lot more flexibility in the sense because, you know, you nothing. You haven't launched yet, so you're able to, you know, edit more content um, at a slower rate, right? You can 
you can balance out what you're doing a little slower because you don't have to push to a specific launch date to, just to make sure everything is good. But once you're launched, then everything is coming so much faster and you have to really be on your toes and, and think and, and talk to the right people to really grow. Cool. You had um, access some of the, the people, which I'd love you to talk about, who you've done pieces on, Carmelone, Spencer Dinwiddie in his shoes. You were really kind of the first person to follow what Spencer's doing in creating his own shoe. Um, what are some of the stories that people should be looking for that have already run and, and some of your highlights or your favorites so far? Yeah, Carmelone, definitely a favorite. For the three days uh, in, in August, we went down to Ruston, Louisiana, near his home town down there. We you know, went hunting with him, boogie riding with him. He has a really unique outdoor life, business life down there. Uh, for the first time, he really unveiled it a lot to what he's all about in post-retirement. Uh, that was very fascinating. You mentioned Didwoody. Yeah, that was a great story because it was global. You know, he really started the process in the States and then went to China to really facilitate his own sneaker process. He learned how to actually design sneakers, sketch them out, the technology behind sneakers, all of that stuff. He learned himself, designed it himself, and then went to China to create that shoe, which he actually officially launched on sale this past week. So that was really fascinating. I would say, man, uh, there's been so many, there's been so many. I would say Kyle Anderson's probably one that stands out. Kyle Anderson, for four years, his mom was trying to, his mom had a realization that he, that there was some Asian ancestry in her family. And so for four years, she was searching and she finally this summer discovered that, uh, that her, that her grandfather was from a very small village in Shenzhen, China. And that he was one eighth Chinese. So actually, uh, she and, and Kyle Anderson with the Memphis Grizzlies uh, and some friends, they actually flew out to China to actually meet their long lost family for the very first time. And it was incredibly work with a Chinese partner out there in, in Shenzhen to actually capture the footage of them meeting the family and Kyle learning how to make dumplings and stir fry. He learned like the whole culture out there. So that was really awesome. Uh, that was really well received. And uh, that got great global press even in China. So, you know, there's so many. I mean, I, coming up, I would say, Joe, to answer your question, coming up, we have a um, pretty emotional, heartfelt, probably our longest and most extensive piece that we've worked on next week. We're dropping a documentary with Clanthony Early, uh, New York native, uh, went to Wichita State, led the Shockers to the Final Four in 2013, got drafted by the Knicks in 2014, and a year after he was robbed and shot, uh, really crazy story, and his whole life has been through tragedy and this and that. So actually, next week we're watching a documentary about his life through tragedy and, and recounting the night that he was shot. Um, he's actually playing in Japan right now, but it's a really touching documentary about you know everything he's been through. So that's coming out soon. And then um, what's what else is coming out? Man, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but no, that's <laughs> uh, fine. Uh, you're probably probably those are some of the highlights. I mean, there's there's mm -hmm. probably a, a new video feature every week or so. So we're excited about that frequency. Yep. Have you have you found kind of a sweet spot with how much content you should put out per week? Is it long-form uh, content or short-form pieces working better? What's what's worked so so well so far with the platform with Close-Up 360? Well, I, I would definitely say the documentaries, the longer form, 10, 15 minutes, you know, from Carl Malone to Danny Green, Kyle Anderson, these are all around seven minutes plus. So we kind of think of ourselves as creating mini documentaries on NBA players off the court, sort of a unique niche about our brand. Uh, but as far as the rollout every week, we have about two, two to four features a week. And every day we have about three to four pieces of content. And those are basically news items around the NBA off the court. 
whatever it is, you know, NBA, NBA player focus, global. Uh, so we have daily content surrounding the, the weekly features. We also have uh, player pages. So with each player we're working with on a global or, I'm sorry, on a bigger level, uh, we create their own individual pages on our site. And those are destinations for their off-the-court world. So fans can go there. I really keep track of uh, those players and everything that they're doing off the court from features to daily content, to information about them, what they do, what they like off the court. So it's really like the one-stop shop for every player uh, beyond the game. And then, yeah, so, but it's all fueled through the features and document, document documentaries. Those are the two main parts of our vehicle. And then beyond that, it's daily and player pages and obviously social media, YouTube and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Have you, um, you talked a little bit about the fundraising. Have you had success with brands yet? Have brands been interested in this? And if so, what types of brands do you think would really kind of tie to this content to support it from an advertorial side? You know, for us right now, it's interesting with brands because when you start the process of building a company like ours, a few things have to be really figured is the content frequency per week, uh, the partnerships on the social media side to really amplify your content because at the end of the day, like with Spencer Dinwiddie, right? I mean, that's been on Ball of Life. It's been on multiple social media platforms with millions and millions of, of followers, and that's been great for us. So as we started the process, we want, to look at, we want to look at partnerships from social media to TV to China, like I was saying with the Kyle Anderson, to really expand the reach, number one. And we know China is a really hungry market for NBA content, especially NBA player content off the court because fans there want to learn more about their players beyond the game. So that's important for us. So we really wanted to, to really get into that. And, and, you know, we don't have the, the followers like House of Highlights, of course, and all of that, but we really want to focus on reach, eyeballs and reach with NBA teams, NBA players, national media, social media brands, that kind of stuff. And then, you know, as we kind of facilitate our, our business model, we want to get into really the, the different levels of sponsorship for our short form, long form docu- documentaries, and even with licensing, licensing, we, we feel is going to be a strong part of our brand to really license out our long form, you know, uh, whatever, whatever the case may be, whether it's five minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes type of thing, we feel good about being able to find uh, license opportunities to, to do that. So we're only five weeks in now. So, you know, I think we feel pretty good about some of the social numbers that we're experiencing, some of the reach. Uh, every NBA player we've worked with has promoted us, which is today, I'm sorry, yesterday, Dwayne Wade, uh, is promoting us on, on that's that was a fantastic win for us. Uh, so we're we're getting daily wins and we're excited about you know continuing the process. It's, it's like I said, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of uh, thinking about different angles to get to ways to partner up, and that's the biggest thing for us. You know, we're a small brand right now, so we have to find ways to partner with great people. And you know, we're open to that. We're open to sharing content. We're open to giving people clips of our features. We don't want to just feel like it's only about us. We want to feel like we can share and work together with great partners that are interested in us and interested in us and what we're doing and, and work and build together. So, so two questions off that. What's been the response from teams and the NBA and the G league? And um, also um, have you gotten pushback from people saying, Oh, you know, you're too small or come see us when you're down the line, you're not NBA TV or Turner. Well, we haven't approached Turner and DTV right now. I mean, that, that's uh, not in our wheelhouse right now. You know, for, for us, it's more on the social media level, potentially some local deals. We want to grow a little bit to get, if we want to get into those conversations, because some of those big companies are doing some of their own things, you know, they're in their own lane. Uh, 
to, to answer your second question first, I mean, the biggest challenge, like I said, is the followers. It's just that we just launched, so we don't have hundreds and tens of thousands of followers. So, you know, with brands, for example, that's what obviously comes up is that where, where are you guys right now with followers? I mean, it's a it's an interesting game. You know, I'm, I'm 36 now, and it's amazing how much this has changed when I even used to work at Sports Illustrated Kids on the marketing side in 2006. You know, just how numbers and data and research is calculated, it's so different now with social media uh, and with the analytics. So uh, we know we have some hurdles, you know, with as far as just, just the, the following and the eyeballs. However, on the flip side is that we know that you know, uh, talking to brands, what we do have is are some unique things. We have depth in our stories. We have authenticity. We have access to players. We have a distinct uh, niche in a very popular uh, industry, the NBA. And, uh, you know, uh, and our presentation looks great, you know, as far as the website, the imagery, the video. So the presentation of content is very important. We do things at a very high level, highly produced, whether it's, like I said, photos or videos. So our product is very uh, uh, respected already, and that's important. And, and so if we can build on that and, and continue to get reach and uh, attract uh, some sponsors for some individual features and series, we'll be in a good spot for January, February. You know, we know All-Star Weekend is next year, for us in February. So the goal is before All-Star break to really lead into a, a good first, first quarter. And, uh, you know, like I said, we're also looking internationally in China to really help um, uh, facilitate, increase our, our views and reach and all that kind of stuff. Have the teams and uh, the NBA been supportive of your efforts so far? Yes, the NBA has shared our content. Uh, we work with the PR department. I've been working with those guys for 10 years or so. Uh, we're working on a lot of the lifestyle stuff. You know, we did a piece with uh, Victor Solomon, who's an NBA artist and sculptor. He does a lot of those stainless steel, uh, sorry, stained glass backboards you've seen mm-hmm. with LeBron, Kevin Durant. He did a, a partnership with the NBA and, we actually did a shoot at Victor's studio in Los Angeles, and the NBA shared it, which was great. As far as NBA teams, we had we had over eight teams share our content. Great. Uh, you know, that was either from original sharing, original posts, or retweets. So that's been great. I mean, like I said, you know, we're we're getting we're getting that we're getting we're getting into the NBA industry really well from the NBA, from teams, from players. So that's been really awesome to see and. Like I said yesterday, Dwayne Wade is supporting us. So I mean, that's mm-hmm. you know one of our one, one of the best moments we've had so far. So, right. uh, but we're not, we're not satisfied. I mean, we Joe, as you know, we have a, a lot of work ahead. Like mm-hmm. you know, if I was younger and 21 years old, maybe I'd be out you know <laughs> celebrating right now. But you know, I'm telling my team like, okay, let's let's uh, let's uh, celebrate for a second. But but we got more more things to to, to work for. How, how many people do you have on your team now, Jared? So I have uh, four business partners across business, content, video, uh, editorial. I have, uh, let's see, we have five freelance writers, contributing writers, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we, have, we have videographers in about, so we have, so I'll go back to writers, sorry. We have about five to six writers in about five different states, and we have videographers in about five to six different states. They're not working for us like on a daily basis, but we turn to them when we have content with players in those markets. And then uh, what else? We have some contacts in China we're working with on content. And we have a social media manager. We have uh, some brand uh, directors of brand development. And who am I missing? I would say overall total. And again, you know, we're, we're not a, a fully fledged all like, you know, full, full-time team with all of us, but, uh, 
it's about 12 to 15, I would say, including. That's, that's still an impressive group for a startup to have that many. Um, last question I want to have before we, we kind of ask you a couple of general questions. So it's close up 360, which leads me to believe that, that you would have interest in expanding this just beyond the NBA at some point. Is that a long-term vision, whether it's other sports or college or even the high school market, which is growing like crazy now? I mean, I, I think we would definitely want to be in basketball right now, other sports. Right right now, we're just trying to take advantage of the NBA and basketball. Definitely NBA. You know, there's no question about it. Do you, um, do you include WNBA in that as well? Yeah, we do. We do. We actually have a potential project in the works that would start next year. It's very early right now. But, yeah, WNBA, NBA, uh, college, high school, again, focus focuses on the NBA. Uh, but uh, – you know, we get that question a lot. You know, the thing for us is that right now we're a web slash social destination. But for us, it's, it's we want to potentially be more than that. You know, as far as you think about having a studio nationally, you think about having a studio internationally, you think about off-the-court events with players, right? hosting or, or sponsoring off-the-court events, uh, merchandise. You know, there's other extensions of, of this business just from a basketball standpoint, you could talk about without thinking about other sports. There's still more to do in our own lane right now. Mm-hmm. Great. And then, um, so two other quick things. One is you, you've done a lot of work with the Business of Sports School, which I'm sure helps you advise young people. What, what's some of the advice that you share with, whether it's kids at the Boss School or just people in general looking to get in the sports space? Yeah, I mean, it's crazy how competitive it is now, right, to get into the sports industry. My, my my advice I always say is become your own brand. And I, I really believe because of what I've been able to do and I've worked for big companies, yes, but within each big company I've worked for, I've kind of done my own thing. I've, I've kind of found my niche within those big organizations. While I was able to work for ESPN and Bleacher and Sports Illustrated, these big companies said so they saw a value that I brought to that company. And what I always tell young kids is that when companies are – hire people they're not trying to hire you just because they need to fill a body they're trying to hire you because you're going to bring value to that company you're an added your value add to their business because at the end of the day we're all businesses and so if you're not bringing some kind of value add something new that they haven't had before they may not hire you so i i just tell people just to think about yourself creatively as your own brand your own entity because your career will go on not because you're working for other companies but your legacy will be known for what personally made for, for a company or for yourself. And so I'm very proud. You know, even though I'm still young, I, I feel in a lot of work ahead. I, I'm proud because I was able to really stand on my own two feet and do what I want to do and at the same time bring a service to people around the world. And my service is telling the best stories about players off the court, giving players a, uh, a vehicle to get to have fans learn about them more beyond the game as people, as community leaders, and doing incredible things that are really inspiring and motivating because at the end of the day, these stories should inspire people. They should inspire everybody to, to follow in their footsteps. So ultimately, that's, that's what I, how I see things, and hopefully that has an impact. Mm-hmm. And then how do you stay constant with everything going on? Where, where do stories come from? Uh, how do you, what are some of the places that you look to where you get yep. uh, information every day? I'm on my phone like Woj pretty much all day, and it's not because I'm trying to chase news. I'm I'm trying to chase. I shouldn't even use the word chase. I'm I'm just talking to people. Like I'm a one of my one of my best skills. I feel like is just networking. I love to meet new people. I love to 
uh, talk to people. I love to learn and, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm a very uh, social person in that regard. So uh, it's really just a lot of texting, calling publicists and agents and even players. And I do a lot of reading too. I'm a big reader. Uh, so I love to read. I love to you know, just kind of get news out, read news out there about what's going on in the industry. So I'm just always trying to, you know, uh, keep, keep in touch, not, not necessarily just sit back and, and wait for things. I like to go after things. I like to bring things, bring, bring people together, you know, in, in the sense that, you know, if there's one player that could maybe mix with this player or this idea could mix with this idea. I like to kind of mix bad stuff too, where people feel like they're together and, and that kind of stuff. But it, it's just, it's constant. I mean, it's, especially now we're running a company because you have to be always on your toes. And especially when you're the founder of a company and, and the president, everything is really directed to you in the sense that like, if you shut down, you know, other people are going to sort of react to you and, and maybe not work as hard or so, you know, you got to always be on your toes and, and, and Joe, as you know, with content, it's, you're always good as your last story. That's an old mm-hmm. philosophy of our industry. You're always good as your last story. So because we just launched, you know, I have to think about what's going to happen in January and, and then even February. So just constantly reading, constantly talking to people and, and trying to get as much intel as possible. Great. And then most importantly, Jared, where do people find the information either about you or about uh, Close Up 360? Yeah, so the website, closeup360.com. Uh, our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram is at closeup360. YouTube is youtube.com backslash cu360, which is our acronym. And um, what else? What else? I mean, myself is Jared Zwirling. Uh, last name is a little crazy there, but it's a Z as in zebra, W. E R L I N G. So Jared's rolling at Twitter, Instagram, all that, all that good stuff. And uh, no, thank you, thank you again, Joe. It really means a lot. And thank you for all the fans out there for for listening in. Great. You know, we love to kind of get to the disruptive models or the startups before they become massive properties. We've done it over the past two and a half years since we've been doing the podcast here at Columbia, uh, and uh, we think this is another case of a site to watch, a niche that's growing and an entrepreneur who's doing well. So Jared Zwirling, founder and president of Close Up 360, thanks for joining us on The Cusp Show. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it, man. Cool. Once again, this was The Cusp Show, uh, the Columbia University Sports Podcast. Our guest was Jared Zwirling, the founder and president of Close Up 360. Be sure and check it out. I'm Joe Favorito for my co-host Tom Richardson, and we'll see you down the line.